Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio and for Lisa Dent on Chicago's Afternoon News. And speaking of afternoon news, uh, one of the big stories of the day is all about pleading the fifth. Yep. We woke up this morning to the story and that former President Donald Trump was going to be in New York and he was going to be testifying. And even before he arrived there at nine o'clock in the morning, the word on the street was he would be pleading the fifth. And I kept reading, well, this is a civil case now. So we have joining us on the line, uh, Professor Ron Allen. He's with the John uh, Henry Wigmore School of Law at Northwestern. And uh, Professor Allen, thank you for joining us today to answer some questions about the Fifth Amendment. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm pleased to be here. I'm the John Henry Wigmore Professor. Yes. At the Northwestern Pritzker yeah. uh, School of Law. Gotcha. Yeah. We're, we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> yes. I'm, right. I'm not going to plead the fifth on that. <laughs> no. All right. Perfect. All right. So if it's a civil case, because television, I think, has taught us over the years that you plead the fifth when it's a criminal case. Is it unusual? Uh, is it different if you plead it in a civil case? No, that's, I think, a misconception. You can plead the fifth at any time the government compels you to testify um in any setting uh, whatsoever they cannot compel information from you in any setting if there's a risk of self-incrimination and you invoke your fifth amendment rights but if you plead the fifth in a civil case could the fact that you pleaded the fifth in a civil case be used be potentially used in a follow-up criminal case uh, yeah, that's another interesting question. The answer to that question, uh, theoretically, is no, that you cannot, uh, uh, what we say is penalize the exercise of a right by uh, using the exercise of the right against the person in just the way the right is supposed to protect. So the answer to that question is no. But when a person pleads the Fifth Amendment, does it put everybody on notice that, you know, something might be going on here? Does it encourage the government to pursue other leads? Functionally, pleading the fifth uh, has those effects, and there's no way you can stop that from happening. And certainly, certainly, uh, certainly public perception, anytime someone pleads the fifth, uh, I don't care who it is, public perception is, well, they must have pleaded the fifth because they have something to hide. Well, that is exactly right. No, I, I understand. Um, uh, I think that public perception uh, is should be should be what, how shall I say this enlightened a little bit. Mm-hmm. There are lots of reasons why you plead the fifth, uh, including the fact in many cases. And by the way, this could be a case like that where things are not as cut and dried as you know whether you killed your rich aunt in order to get her. You're you're the beneficiary of a will in order to get her her property. Uh, these complex cr- crimes, white-collar crimes, things like that, are often murky. Mm-hmm. And no one, of course, knows what's going on in terms of the investigation of Trump criminally or what they might be thinking. Um, and I, I would agree with them. I wouldn't say a word under oath hmm. uh, so long as these 
risks of liability are are still out there. In a sense, the government's brought this on themselves, you know, by making it clear that some prosecutors are going to continue to pursue him in any way, shape, or form that they can. Mm-hmm. So it's not unusual then for the word to be out on the street that, hey, nothing, there will be no fireworks in this case today because my client is going to be pleading the fifth. It's not unusual at all. I see. And I would assume it is also not unusual for uh, someone who is completely innocent of everything to be advised by their lawyer at this point, plead the fifth. Absolutely right. You have you you might have a moral obligation to assist the government, but you have no legal obligation to assist the government. And the, the defense counsel's obligation is to protect his or her client at all at all at all costs within the bounds of ethics and the law. And uh, even though you might be innocent, what you say could lead to evidence, could lead to, to tips, could lead to this, could lead to that. That makes it look like you're guilty. So the, the standard op, it's standard operating procedure, the, the defense counsel will not let, well, sometimes there are exceptions to this, but will not let their clients assist the government in any way, shape, or form. Now, of course, this is a two-way street. There's a critical difference between civil cases and uh, 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 criminal cases. Mm-hmm. That in civil cases, you have what's called free discovery, free in the sense of open, not free in the sense of costless. But you have to turn over all the information you have to the other side and vice versa. That doesn't exist in criminal cases. That's like one, it's one of the problems in our criminal system, in my opinion. Um, uh, so the defense isn't going to get any help from the prosecution either. Uh, there are some limits to that. If the prosecution knows that the defendant is innocent and has exculpatory evidence that makes that clear, they have to turn that over before trial. But generally speaking, what I just said is true. So the so, the Alex Jones records that were turned over, that was a huge faux pas because that was not but, required. Yeah, look, I, I have not looked into the details of that myself. Mm-hmm. So I know what you know based on the uh, media accounts of it. And I would say a huge faux pas is the understatement of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to take take you back, if you don't mind. We're going to take a quick break and come back. And I just want a, a brief history lesson because I feel like um, the whole business of pleading the fifth is seems so common these days, yeah. but it hasn't been around forever. So we'll get a quick history lesson. You guys stick with us. Let's go over to Mary and get an update on what's happening in weather and traffic. Mary? <laughs> Steve King and Johnny Putman doing the Walk of Life on Chicago's Afternoon News in for Lisa Dent on WGN Radio. And we've got so much stuff going on this afternoon. Right now we're talking about, uh, well, not specifically uh, former President Trump's um, pleading the fifth today, but that was the impetus for this conversation. And it's all about... Uh, what does it mean when you plead the fifth and the difference between pleading the fifth in a civil or a criminal case? And the only thing that I'm absolutely convinced of at this point is just because someone pleads the fifth doesn't really tell you are they guilty or innocent. Right. It's just I don't want to say anything right now. But 
perception. Yeah. Yes. Uh, with us on the line is a law professor from Northwestern, Professor Ron uh, Ronald Allen. And I just wanted to take a minute, if you would, and give us a little history lesson on this has been around my entire lifetime. But when when did we first get the ability to plead the fifth? Well, we got the ability to plead the fifth in uh, 1791 when the Bill of Rights was adopted. It's a little more complicated than that because originally the Bill of Rights was thought to apply only against the federal government, but it's in the Fifth Amendment uh, to the Bill of Rights. Uh, In the uh, early 60s, the Supreme Court started construing the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment says uh, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law Mm -hmm. to, in what we call, incorporate the various provisions of the Bill of Rights. Nobody knew exactly what this due process clause was supposed to mean, but one plausible account is it should guarantee the privileges and immunities, although that phrase has its own meaning, of citizenship to everybody, including state citizens. And so the court said, well, the First Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment are implicit in due process. So beginning with the 60s on, even in state cases, not just federal cases, a person had the right to plead the, the Fifth Amendment. If you do plead, can you answer some questions that are asked of yeah. you? No? Yeah, that's, no, no. That's an, I'm sorry, I interrupted, but I knew where you were going. That's an interesting question. The answer is no. You, you, you can't, you, the, the, the thought process here or the way we think about that is you can use these rights as a shield, but not as a sword. Oh, am I correct in in assuming that if you answer even a part of a question, it then opens up a whole avenue for follow up questions that you then have to answer? That's exactly right. That entire subject matter is now open for questioning and you can't claim the Fifth Amendment. And the idea, again, is it's, it's either all or nothing. You can't disclose positive information. To help you, but then claim the fifth with respect to things that might be negative. That's the shield versus sword concept. Mm-hmm. How, how do Miranda rights fall under the, the pleading the fifth, the right to remain silent? Well, uh, there is actually not a right to remain silent. There is a pro, what we call a prophylactic rule that's designed to protect the exercise of free will in the context of police interrogations. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that there are two forms of, let me call it pressure. It's a little more complicated than that, but let me call it pressure that we have to deal with. One is uh, formal pressure, like the threat of a contempt sanction. And that's a paradigmatic example, by the way, of compulsion. You are compelled to testify because if you don't, you'll be put in jail Mm -hmm. as a result of contempt. There's a different form of pressure, and that's what we call coercion. And there, the paradigmatic example is torture. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court was concerned about what was going on in the, in the t- interrogation rooms um, and uh, essentially held that the kind of pressure that could be brought to bear on a person might begin to, to be essentially coercion. And so that a person couldn't exercise their right, their rights, their, their free will would be overwhelmed by this. And so as a means to protect the exercise of that right, means of protecting it through the exercise of the free will of the suspect, you had to read them these rights to bolster their ability to exercise freely their rights. 
So that's how Miranda came in. Miranda is now thought of as the paradigmatic example of the Fifth Amendment, and frankly, it is not. It's a, it's a strange exception to the Fifth Amendment. Have the, the, the past years with all of the, uh, the legal stuff that we see in the headlines every day, has it been a time for you as a law professor to say at any point, wow, I never thought we'd go there? <laughs> well, actually, a day ago that happened. I never thought we'd go to a, to a uh, exercise in a search warrant against a former president. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't obviously I don't know what was going on in the Justice Department's uh, uh, in the, in the, internally in the Justice Department, but this is a really, really dramatic thing to do. Um, that's probably not what you're asking about. No, but, I, but, but I get I get your reaction, mm-hmm. and and this is sometimes uh, even when we're not preparing for a radio show. Johnny and I subscribe to newspapers. We're absorbing all of this stuff because, particularly right now. Oh boy, are we living through history? And years yeah. from now, the people are going to look back on this and say, "What the?" <laughs> yes, I agree. I, and and a, and a, you know, pox on both their houses. Uh, if you follow the metaphor, I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah, a, a, a deterioration of the political scene uh, into incivility. Yeah, and both sides are responsible for it, and they should be ashamed of themselves. You're, a, you're singing our song, yeah. believe me. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, I, literally, we sat over the breakfast table this morning, and I said, you know what? We just kind of take for granted that you can plead the fifth, and, and this perception that you're guilty is kind of out there and yeah. being overused and abused in some cases. But thank you very much, Professor. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to do it again sometime. Take care. Yeah, it's... And one of the many reasons that we wanted to talk about that uh, is because whatever your feelings are about former President Donald Trump, you can't assume anything from the fact that he took the fifth today. That's just the legal reality. Yeah, and that's why the word was on the street even before he arrived. Uh, you know, and there's a part of me that says, well, why do you even show up? <laughs> but no, you have to go through yeah. the process. Understood. Okay, we're going to segue from uh, legal stuff to computer stuff yeah. after the news. So uh, stay with us. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. WG.